Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Congratulations on making it to day 21. Go ahead, give a louder hoot than that. I hope God spoke to you mightily as you uh, were fasting and praying. I hope he got closer to you as you got closer to him. Uh, God speaks when we surrender ourselves to him. You can't outgive God, right? So when you give up something for God, he'll do big things in your life. And as Mark was talking about growth and us uh, bringing in more people, you know, I had this thought, you know, what if, I want you to imagine, what if all of you went out into the public and you started talking about Jesus? If you got into a crowd and started talking about Jesus, what type of responses would you get? Now, I know some of you have done that before where you go out and you meet all kinds of people and you get all kinds of responses. So when you start talking about Jesus and just go from one person to another, some people, you know, they're happy. You talk about faith and they're happy. They're happy to talk about spiritual things. Some people get angry when you talk about faith. They get really confrontational. Some people get a lot of anxiety because they're, they have to look at themselves, you know, within. Some people are curious. They've never really thought about those things before, you know, spiritual things. Some people may get defensive because they feel that guilt inside. Some people might get hostile because they're, they don't believe God. They, maybe they had a bad experience in the past. Some may be embarrassed. Some people, you know, they... You talk about Jesus, maybe they're Christian, but they don't, you know, don't tell anybody that. They don't want anybody to know. That's their little secret. Some people may be skeptical of what you're saying. You know, how can we know that there is a God? Well, we're going to go through John chapter 12 today. If you want to start opening up your Bibles to that chapter. And John chapter 12 is Jesus's closing argument to the Jews and to the Jewish leaders. This is his final public ministry in Passion Week where he is going to make his case and then he's going to spend the rest of John with his disciples. And the next time people will see him in public is when he's crucified. But before he does, he's going to meet the largest crowds that he has and that he's been speaking to in his ministry up to this point. And as Mark talked about last week, he raised Lazarus from the dead just before he comes into Bethany where we're going to start in. And that creates a huge buzz because Bethany is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Lazarus had friends in Jerusalem so everybody's talking about it. And we're going to go over the responses of the people that Jesus spoke to and some of the crowds and what they were thinking as Jesus uh, made his case. And maybe you'll see some of the people you know as you go out and witness. Maybe you'll see yourself in some of these stories, who you were then, and maybe even who you are now. But the story... And chapter 12 opens up in verse 1 
saying that it's six weeks before the Passover, or six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover, which means that Jesus is going to die in six days, seven days. And he knows it. So as he's entering in, he knows what's coming. And his disciples have a sense of it too. And when we look at his disciples, what are they doing? Just before they came into Bethany, they, were, they had some anxiety because they had been to Jerusalem before and they knew that's where they were heading. And when you go back into chapter 11, you know, the disciples, when Jesus tells them that we're going to go back to Bethany to see Lazarus, you know, they're worried because they say, hey, Jesus, you know, isn't that where you got threatened to be killed not long ago? I mean, are, are, is that where we're going? And Jesus says, yes, pack up. That's where we're going. And then we're going to go to Jerusalem. Are you sure? Are you, that's where we're going? Yes, we're on our way. And the disciples, they talk amongst each other. Yep, that's where we're going. You know, we're going to go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. You know, that's the response. And that's what a disciple does. Somebody who's following Jesus. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen next week, next day, or next year. Because disciples follow. Disciples follow their master. Because following as a disciple is not learning. It's not an educational experience. Okay? Following Jesus as a disciple is not about education. It's about transformation. Following Jesus is about becoming Jesus-like. It's about learning to do what Jesus does. You think of it like a, a, an apprentice as a plumber or a carpenter. So if you're a plumber's apprentice, you're not just learning the techniques of plumbing. You know, you're learning the plumbing business from the plumber. You're learning how to take care of customers from the plumber. You're learning how to take care of the tools, take care of the equipment. You're learning how to deal with people and make relationships just like the plumber does so that when you become a journeyman, you'll be like the plumber who taught you. Disciples are not just learners. Disciples are trying to become something. They're trying to become like the master. And as the disciples follow Jesus into Jerusalem, they don't know what they're doing, but they're following. And I know when we say the word disciple, all of you, that's your heart, to be disciples. Is it not? Yes. yes. Amen. <laughs> to be disciples, right? Because we're following Jesus, not just to learn about Jesus, to become like him. So that means even though we don't know what's going to happen day to day, week to week, we're willing to become like our master. Now, these guys, 12 guys, we laugh at them sometimes as we read their stories because they were just like us. They were marginal fishermen, tax collectors, professional rebels, failed businessmen. Okay, they were just regular people and they made a lot of mistakes. But you know what? By the time Jesus was done with them, they had changed the world. Turned it right side up. Every year, we gather at Easter for the resurrection. Every year, we celebrate Christmas. The whole world. Why? 
because 12 men followed Jesus and took his message to the ends of the earth. They had no idea what they were doing. They just followed and did what Jesus did. That's your call to follow. And as these disciples come into Bethany, they're at a dinner in honor of Jesus. And who's sitting with them? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. Can you imagine being Lazarus? Sitting with Jesus. You know, Jesus is sitting there. Hey, how you feeling, Lazarus? Right? What do you think his answer was? I'm at the top of my health. I feel great. I had a bum leg a month ago. I can't find a single thing wrong with my body. I've never felt this good. Right? What did that feel like? To be sick and coughing and, and all of a sudden you just fail off. And the next thing you remember is you hear a voice. Lazarus! And you wake up and you're cold, laying on a hard surface. Lazarus! And you recognize the voice. So you get up and you start walking towards it, but you can't move because you're wrapped up. Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus walks out. And someone starts unwrapping his face. And he sees Jesus. And his sisters are around him, hugging him and crying. And as he unwraps his face, he can see a crowd of people who came for a funeral. Gasping and cheering and crying. And everyone telling him, we're so glad you're back. I don't know where I was. And they would say, you were dead. You were dead. He said, what's that smell? That's you. You've been in the grave four days. I remember. I remember the pain when I die. Now, he was probably, that was probably a week before they met, maybe less. And yet it says thousands of people started gathering around Lazarus' house. How did that happen? Because the man who was dead went out and told everybody, I was dead. And Jesus brought me back to life. I don't know what happened or how, but I was standing there. I heard him call my name. I was dead, and here I am right now. And he said, and it says that the crowd, there was a crowd of witnesses who saw what happened. They went out. And you see, you won't believe what I said. They went to Jerusalem to tell people, we saw Jesus raise this man from the dead. Now, in that time, when the Passover was coming, there were hundreds of thousands of visitors in Jerusalem. And they were coming to see Jesus because of the witness of what these people saw. Right? Because Lazarus would not stop talking about what Jesus did for him. Right? All of you, all of you, at some point, came to the realization that you were dead. Dead in your sins. And in some form or another, you heard Jesus' voice and told you to come out. Come out of the grave and brought you into life. Took the death wrappings off of your face. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to go out 
and tell everyone what Jesus did for you? What if this whole congregation went out at once? Am I still on? What if the whole congregation went out at once and told everyone that Jesus brought you from death to life? That Jesus changed the direction of your destiny? That Jesus raised you from ignorance to abundant life? How many services would we need then? We would need a new building five times the size if we would go out like Lazarus. Now they're at Lazarus' house and his sister is there, Mary. And she saw something in the raising of her brother. And I don't believe it was just seeing a miracle. She saw something in Jesus that she hadn't seen before. When you think about God and the love of God, I know you're grateful. I know sometimes it may even bring you to tears. But Mary saw Jesus one way, and maybe she had an impression of God's love and grace. But maybe after seeing what happened, what she finally realized about Jesus just blew her away. Blew her away, whatever expectation she had of who God was, what she saw just ripped away any illusion she had that God is much greater than she could have ever imagined or thought. So with Jesus sitting there and her brother sitting there, she couldn't help it. She just burst out. She went and got her most valuable possession, a bottle of perfume worth a year's pay, how much you make. I don't say it out loud. Whatever you make, a lot of money. Also, personally, that had personal value to her, and she broke it open and poured it out on Jesus. And the whole place smelled like perfume. Do you ever feel like that? Have you ever done something so outrageously lavish because you love God that even your Christian friends are worried about you? <laughs> Why? Why not? What are you worried about? Did you want to do something so amazing for Jesus because you saw something in him that just breaks your heart or raises you up? Don't hold back. Pastor Richie and the worship team, man, they come up here and they just invite us to just let it out. We need to just let it out. And of course, you got people like Judas that they're always going to be there. You know, why did you let her do that? We could have used that to, to minister to the poor. Don't listen to those guys. You're never going to please those people anyway. Let it out. Let God bust out of you, no matter what it looks like or what people think. Let the love of God in you shine so that others see his glory in you. Don't let anybody stop you. And speaking of Judas, there's always a snake in the garden. You know, as I like to say, not everything in the cookie jar is a cookie. We always have people among us that 
um, are not really Christian. They're here for something else. They take advantage of people. All right. We need to always be on our, on our guards. You know, we always keep confidences, but not secrets. Okay. We need to minister to people and be careful to test the spirits of what people say and not just fall for anything we hear. That's why we bring our Bibles to church so that we can test what the pastor is saying, right? And what other people are saying in the church. God gave us his word so that we could know him. We don't have to rely on other people to lead us into dark places. And then there are the chief priests and the Pharisees. And we always look down on those guys, but you know, when you read history, they were actually the ones that held Judaism together for hundreds of years, but they uh, went hollow, they went corrupt. And the Pharisees, they, uh, they were uh, legalistic, and their faith became hollow. And as they heard Jesus speak, you know, they didn't even consider his miracles. They didn't consider the prophecy that he met. All the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that Jesus met, proving he was the Messiah. They couldn't get past the idea that he healed somebody on a Saturday. Right? Religious people can't get past that you broke the rule regardless of what that act meant or did. Right? You ever have somebody criticize you because you danced? Because you had a glass of wine? All right? I'm going to, yes, I said that. Okay? Religious people can be dangerous because their faith is empty. You know, without Jesus, his grace and mercy, this gathering is worthless because no one here is going to get to heaven. And Pharisees value their own perfection over God's grace. We need to be on guard from the Pharisees in our, in our church. Show them grace. But remember that God's grace always prevail, prevails. Their hearts are set against God, but they don't know it. Show grace. Teach grace. Have grace in your own hearts. Live out God's grace. They were so angry with Jesus that they said in their hearts to kill him. And then when they saw Lazarus witnessing and thousands and thousands of people going to Lazarus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Again, these are the religious people. The church. So let's guard against religion over grace. And then there are the secret believers. So as you go through the chapter, you'll see that John points out that many didn't believe, but some did, but they were afraid. They were afraid to speak. They were afraid to come out because they would be kicked out of the synagogue. The Pharisees were threatening people that if you associated with Jesus, you would be punished. And we have secret people or secret Christians uh, out in the community in your workplace, maybe friends of yours. But there's no such thing as a secret Christian. This is not a secret society. 
In fact, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Right? What do we do with secret Christians? Well, we need to encourage them to come out of the spiritual closet. Come out. Right? Come out and live. I was uh, not a secret Christian, but I was very uncomfortable uh, sharing my faith years ago. I was a young Christian. I, I worked in a bank, you know, a very stuffy bank, small trust department. And I, I talked about my faith a little bit, but then, you know, of course, the most popular guy in the office uh, ridiculed me because of the rapture. He said, we believing in people just flying up in the air. He did it in front of my boss. He complained to my boss about me talking about faith and using that as an example. And I didn't know a lot of things, but something in me just decided, you know what? You know, I, I just blurted out, well, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. And I don't know where it came from. And, but everyone just stopped talking. And I felt great. <laughs> and everyone around me felt a little uncomfortable, but I felt amazing. <laughs> and I don't even know what I said after that. I just went home feeling like the Holy Spirit was slapping me on the back, saying, that's my son, good job. All right? Sometimes we're afraid to talk about our faith, but that fear is in us. We need to trust God in those moments and just let it out. You know, even if you, even if you don't say what you wanted to say, even if you say something that sounds totally ridiculous to you, even God can use even that to change people. And don't worry. Right? Jesus said, don't worry about what people can do to you. you know, just go out and let his glory shine in you. Don't wait. Don't wait. There's a consequence to waiting that we'll talk about a little bit later. But the most interesting part of this is when you go through John chapter 12 is the crowds. Because when hundreds of thousands of people get together, I mean, it gets really strange. And the crowds uh, are really pliable. You can, you can influence crowds to do anything. And the crowds in particular, they're indecisive because you got people over here on this side saying one thing, people over here saying another. You got this agenda over here. And there's a couple of spots in John chapter 12 where you can see where crowds can lead you astray. One of my favorite uh, um, sayings I have in my office is follow the shepherd, not the herd. Okay, don't follow the crowd. Bad idea. We can see it in the triumphal entry when Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem and he's got people coming out. Remember, this is Passover. So people are celebrating the uh, victory of, uh, the Holy, of the Holy Spirit passing over the houses of those who had the blood of the lamb and the lamppost. But people are coming out from the Passover celebration to meet Jesus. So they're bringing their little paschal lambs, you know, the lambs they're going to sacrifice they're, they're coming out to see Jesus coming into town. But not only are they bringing their lambs and their families, but they're bringing palm leaves. Now, palm leaves are not part of the Passover celebration. That's part of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is the celebration of exiting Egypt. It's a victory symbol. It was also the symbol of a, uh, of a rebellion, a successful rebellion that happened 160 years earlier by the Maccabees. So as these people are saying, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, which means, hey, uh, come save us. And it also says, blessed is the king of Israel. 
What they're saying is, with the palm leaves and the calling him the king, is they are looking for a rebellion. They're looking to crown him king as he's coming into the city. Because that's their agenda. They have this political agenda to throw off the Romans, and this is the moment. All the momentum's there. Guy brings back somebody from the dead. Hundreds of thousands of people are in town wanting to see this happen. Now is the moment. But Jesus does something really strange. He comes riding in, not on a white horse, right? Not with the little leaves on his head. He comes riding in on a donkey. From Zechariah 9.9, he comes riding in as a prince of peace. And this is the crowd that I believe a week later will be shouting crucify him because they didn't get the rebellion they wanted. They didn't get the king they wanted. So they chose Barabbas over Jesus in front of Pilate because crowds are fickle. Crowds change in a moment. Speaking of that, have you guys you know, seen those commercials, Jesus was a refugee? Right? Don't fall for that. Have you seen yourself in some of these people? Have you seen your friends, people you know, in response to the gospel message? Jesus agonized as he shared his message with everyone. And when his time came, He agonized over it. He agonized when the hour had come for his public ministry to end. And not only for those who would be lost, but for what was coming for him. And when he was agonizing, it wasn't just for the nails or the whip that he was going to experience. And I want you to picture this. John starts out his gospel by saying that in the beginning was God, or was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was part of a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for his entire existence, for eternity. They had never been separated, never. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect unity for eternity and perfect love. Now, in less than a week, Jesus, on our behalf, was going to be rejected by the Father, condemned, separated from the only thing he's ever known. And he was going to take on all the sins. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He took on all sin and was alone for the first time in existence. I can imagine a cosmic scream from the heart of God in that moment. 
What is your response to God's gift? Some of the things that we struggle with as we wrestle with the gospel. Some secret Christians that are afraid to come out in the open. The love that we hold inside and won't let it come out. We refuse to witness for the one who gave it all for us. Why do we struggle with the one who would do such a thing on our behalf? Well, Jesus said that, verse 25, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what does it mean to love your life? Well, it means to build your life on this world. Have you taken a look at this world? Have you noticed it's broken? Anybody watched the news the past couple of days in Memphis? The most brutal beating of a human being that I've seen by police. And Nancy Pelosi's husband, whatever you think about politics, this guy was beaten in the head with a hammer by somebody. That's just a couple of millions of stories going on in our world. You've got to be in complete denial about what's happening in this world. The evil that goes on in people's hearts and the evil that goes on in our hearts. I have a ton of regret about the things that I've done in my life. And I, I have a ton of regret the way my heart works today. Guilt and shame about some of the thoughts that I have. And someone who builds their life in this world, you've got to ignore all that. On the philosophies of this world where man is the measure of all things, what I do is okay. So it's all you all. I just got to build a moat around my home and my heart and keep you out because I'm all right. It's all you guys. But if you hate your life in this world, and Jesus is not saying hate yourself. God created you in his image. He wants you to love yourself. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus loves you. In fact, Paul said to think highly of yourself, just not too highly. Right? So he's saying not to hate your, yourself. What he's saying is to hate your life in this world. How do you do that? Well, Jesus, when you look at Jesus, he shines light into our hearts. When you see Jesus, we see a different life, don't we? A life that includes grace, true love, not the love that says, I love you, so give me but love that says, let me give you. He shows us a future with him where there's no pain, no tears, where we have a direct relationship with God. 
When you see that life in comparison to life here, do you not hate it? Do you not hate it here when you see what God's original intent for us is? But when you cling to that life that God wants for us and you start dying to this life, Jesus says, that's what I'm going to give you. But we need to start dying to it. Dying to this life. Dying to our small dreams. Dying to our self-centeredness. And start living for the glory of God. I just thought this up. I want to challenge you. Did you feel close to God during this fast? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Make me feel good. If you felt close to God by giving up something that made you feel closer to him, why don't you just give it up? Not for 21 days, but forever. Whatever you did to feel close to God for 21 days, do you want to feel close to God for the rest of your life? Die to it. Let it go. Getting close to Jesus, is that your heart today? I hope so. Because life with him compared to this, you're going to hate it. Once you see it, when you see his life that he's going to give you, the more you see it, the more you're not going to love your life here. You're going to be here 70, 80 years, but he's going to give you his life for an eternity. And I hope that brings you great joy, living in that knowledge. Would you pray with me? Do me a favor, stand. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and lift your hands and pray with me. From the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how hard or how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For his glory, in the name of our Savior, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.